Hello, and welcome to The Bite, Hope Brooklyn's weekly podcast for bite-sized spiritual thoughts to inspire you as you center your life around God's great story. Thanks so much for listening. We're going to be reading Matthew 3, verse 13 through 17. This is how it reads. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? But Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and falling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So the matured Jesus, and I don't mean matured as in morally matured, but I mean in the same way that a fruit is ripe. The season is ripe. The matured Jesus, uh, tradition holds that he was 30 years old. He steps onto the scene for the first time. And just like his birth, just like where the story is headed, he immediately shocks and scandalizes. He comes to be baptized by John. Now, this is, of course, deeply confusing for John because John has just been talking about Jesus to all of uh, the Judean people as they're coming out. He's been saying that there's another one coming. I'm preparing the way for him. And when he comes, he will baptize you all with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And John recognizes Jesus, but he's really confused because Jesus would would be baptized by him? The text reads that John would have forbid him. That's actually the Greek word. Uh, the, the translation we read said deter, but it's more forceful, forbid, diakaluin. John would have forbid him saying, no, Jesus, what? Not at all. I need to be baptized by you. What's going on? Now, Jesus will later say of John that among those born of women, there has never arisen one greater than John the Baptist. And yet here we have, according to Jesus, the greatest one the world has ever seen, deeply confused at the methods of his maker. Deeply confused at the methods of the one whose coming he was tasked to announce. Or it's like later on when Jesus is with his disciples and he's talking to the crowd and he says that if you want to follow me, you have to pick up your cross and come die with me. And Peter, one of the 12 disciples about whom Jesus will say, you are going to be the rock that I build my church on. Peter actually rebukes Jesus. He says, what are you doing, Jesus? Don't don't talk like that. Why? Because Jesus said that if you want to follow me, if you want to know the type of kingdom we're creating, it's going to end in my death and probably your death. And Peter's like, no, that's 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 not a good idea. That's that's not good PR. Um, Let's uh, let's clean up. Let's spin this a little bit. See, there's a theme and you probably already see it. No one understands what Jesus is doing. (laughs) No one understands the plans of God. What is more, no one likes what Jesus is doing. His closest followers, the most important characters in this story, 
who confess their allegiance to this guy still try to forbid him and rebuke him from carrying out his father's plan, which is to die. We cannot fathom an all-powerful God who puts his net continually into our hands and says, your move. What kind of God does that? What kind of God does that? Now, Jesus, who is the only one qualified to baptize others, submits himself to be baptized by those unworthy to do it. Kind of a foreshadowing to the way that Jesus, who is life itself, submits to death so that death may be overturned once for all. Mary holding God in her hands. John dunking God beneath the water. Peter watching God bleed out on a cross. All three utterly confused at the form this God's love takes. This God's humility, who will again and again and again make himself weak and place himself in dependence into our hands. He won't fight back. He won't fight back. And at every page, his followers, John, Peter, were confused and were saying, fight back, Jesus, fight back. And he says, no, let it be so for now. You don't understand, but this is proper and right for us to fulfill all righteousness. And as he comes up out of the water, as the giant stone rolls away from the tomb, and Jesus stands there having subjected himself to all manner of evil and violence, not fighting back, the heavens open, we're told. And the Spirit of God descends on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven crowns him king with the words, reserved only for Jesus, the one who does not fight back. This is my son, the beloved one, with whom I am well pleased. Now, Jesus's mission, says Stanley Hauerwas, it will not be easy, for the kingdom inaugurated by his life and death is not one that can be recognized on the world's terms. I'm going to say that again. Jesus's mission will not be easy, for the kingdom inaugurated by his life and death cannot be recognized on the world's terms. So he submits to John's baptism, just as he will submit to the crucifixion, so that we might know how God intends to rule the world. Guys, I don't have an analogy for this, because I, I don't see anything like it. And I haven't seen anything like it in my life, because I am still of the world. God wins by losing. God overcomes all manner of evil by drinking every drop of the cup that his rebellious world offers him, trying to get rid of their creator. He drinks it because he's the only one who can, and he drinks it because he loves the world, and he drinks it because he demonstrates that by drinking it, dying and being raised to life again, that even his world's rejection of him cannot overcome his love for the world. But that he drinks the cup, instead of knocking the cup out of the world's hand and saying, shut up and fall in line. I call the shots, not you. That he drinks it is astonishing. Yet if we're honest, our lives are like John and like Peter. They're kind of one failed attempt after another to forbid Jesus from drinking this cup, to rebuke Jesus for scaring the people with talks of his death. We want a king as we would understand a king. We want a king that makes sense on our terms. Not this upside down, dies to live, loses to win 
type of kingdom. And yet, I know nothing more beautiful than the God who at every page of the story puts his neck into our broken hands and says, it's okay. This is love. Me in your hands and you in mine. This is the way I would have it. And even when you choose to hurt me, don't be afraid. I will overcome it. I will overcome it and it will be for your good. Astonishing. Let's pray. Jesus, we don't understand your kingdom. We don't understand the way, um, we don't understand a God who would at every turn submit himself to his world, his broken world, his fearful, sinful world. We get that's what love does. Love doesn't coerce, love doesn't domineer. Love submits, love serves. We get that, but you're God. And yet you do that. We're terrified and we're going to make mistakes. We're going to try to forbid you. We're not going to want to listen to you as you speak to us. The decisions that you would have us make that would conform to this kingdom. But we know nothing more beautiful and we want to try to take steps that follow you, Jesus. Be patient with us as, as you are. And give us courage to hear your voice fully and to obey it no matter how much we don't understand it. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of The Bite. To find out more about the mission and ministry of Hope Brooklyn and to subscribe to our other podcasts and lots more, visit us online at www.hopebrooklyn.org.